I'm Izzy, and my guest today is super, super, super dope. It's the first time I have like a full page of notes in a long time, and that's nothing against any further guests. This guest is just like super exciting to have on, and someone that I've actually wanted to have on the show for a very long time. So, Allison, thanks for joining me. Thank you. I can't wait to dive into those notes. <laughs> so, endurance athlete, activist, author, mom, you do a lot. You touch a lot. Tell people who you are and what you do. Yeah, my name is Allison Mariella Desir. I am, of all my titles, mom is the one that's most important and salient to me. I have a three-year-old son named Kuri, and he's just, um, you know, mothers, I used to hear people say this, like, my kid is the best thing that ever happened to me, but he absolutely is. Beyond that, I'm somebody who's really passionate about uh, mental health and about movement and believe that everybody should have access to both of those things. So I spend my life creating spaces um, that center mental health and movement, and particularly uh, for black and brown folks. So that, mm -hmm. that's who I am. I'm somebody, I'm a mother, and then I'm a activist and, and builder who's um, concerned with mental health and movement. I was reading an article and watching a few videos about you uh, last night and today. And you were very much a morning person and I was super mm. excited because I am too. I like mm. log into work in the morning <laughs> and I'm just so excited when I see all the emails and I respond to somebody and nobody responds yes. back. Yes. It's the so best thing in the world. So <laughs> yeah. do you attribute that to your son or do you attribute mm. that to your upbringing? Like when did mm. you start being a morning person? Yeah, I. Um, it's funny what he said. That feeling of writing those emails, it's like there's truly nothing sweeter. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, I was a morning person growing up. My father always said, um, if you're on time, you're late. So that was embedded mm. in a very uh, early age. I want to say like in, during my 20s, like life sort, sort of falls apart during your 20s. And so that's my morning person-ness went out the door. And then with my son, absolutely, because he was up all the time, but also because I found that there's just that magical moment that you have to yourself so waking mm -hmm. up early to be able to set your day the way that you'd like and then dive into work and now being on the west coast um it's actually even sweeter because i'm able to catch the east coast folks beat the west coast folks it's just <laughs> it's great to get that early start you are the bonus episode for the hispanic heritage month campaign that i'm running hey. right now so half haitian has half colombian you've yeah spoke a little bit about that upbringing with your dad telling you that if you're uh, on time, you're late. How mm -hmm. did that upbringing really shape you to be the person you are today? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it was it was difficult being um, first generation American. And um, honestly, being being black is difficult in this world, but particularly because I wasn't black enough to be like the African American kids. Mm. And then I wasn't Latinx or Hispanic enough to be one of those kids either. So I sort of felt, and then I certainly wasn't like American, right? Like people look at you mm -hmm. and wanna know where you're from. So I always felt this sense of in-betweenness, but I really loved and appreciated that in my house, my parents were always telling me the histories of their countries. They were always threatening to send me to their countries <laughs> if I didn't keep up with my schoolwork, right? Like all of us know, you'll go spend the summer in whatever country. Um, and being around different languages and different foods, and also having the experience of being in a family where, you know, I'm this complexion, my mom is far lighter, my cousins, some of them have blonde hair and blue eyes, just recognizing that difference is 
a normal part of a family experience. For me, there was no discrimination, and you know, and I know that uh, in many families there are um, there's a lot of colorism and other things. But for me, it was this point of of recognizing how um, beautiful difference is, and then just being able to have sort of all of this in my back pocket when I would go to school and be made to feel like I didn't belong in a particular space. I drew so much strength from from my family. You mentioned something earlier. Um, or I mentioned something earlier about you being an endurance athlete. It's actually mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I came across you. And I feel like a mm-hmm. lot of people have come across you. So um, I was reading a article about you that said that the first marathon that you participated in created a shift in thinking for yourself. Can you talk a little bit about that and where mm-hmm. you were in life at that point and how that really helped you grow? Absolutely. So in um, 2011, I was very depressed. I think about that person and it's hard to even see myself as that person anymore. But I was, um, you know, I was struggling with my mental health. My father was sick with Lewy body dementia. And so I was watching him slowly uh, become a shell of himself. I was drinking a lot. I was unemployed. I was home all of the time. And honestly, thinking about ways to not exist in this world. Um, but one day I was scrolling on social media and one of my friends was training for a marathon. He is a black guy. He's like five foot 10, like, you know, 200 and something pounds. Not at all the idea of who a marathon runner is in my head uh, yeah. or was, I should say. At that time, I looked at somebody like that and thought black people don't run marathons. But he was and it, he was sharing how it changed his life. And um, all the amazing things it was doing for him. So I decided the following year to sign up for a marathon and um, and raise money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And as you said, like this, the idea of being given a 16-week training plan that promised me to complete this impossible task, run a marathon, shifted my mindset to realize, oh, I can do really difficult things if I break it down into smaller pieces, right? Mm. You know, you're not going to run a marathon in a day, or as people say, Rome wasn't built in one day. But if you break down that process into pieces, and you can celebrate those wins weekly, before you know it, you're doing something you never thought was possible. So running the marathon was my first experience of that. And very quickly after I took that same sort of methodology and applied it to uh, to applying for jobs, right? I mm-hmm. made an Excel file of a million, diff- not a million, no, 200 jobs. And then I went systematically through it, applying and um, gleaning uh, information and, and what was working, what wasn't working. And I got a job. Um, it seemed like everything that I wanted to do, if I just tackled it a little bit at a time, I could um, end up successful or if not successful, at least with learning that could help me iterate on the process. So the experience itself running obviously changed my life. And I realized that I, I love, I love movement. Um, but it unlocked this just strategy of approaching life circumstances. You are a two-time founder, correct? Three-time? Um, you know, I've lost count. I founded a lot of things. So, um, yeah, I've, I've, I'm, I'm a big idea person, but then I'm also a big doer and a good friend of ours, Martha Garcia. I always, she's like my partner in crime. And I always say to her, like, sometimes I just keep my ideas to myself because the minute I say it to Martha, either she's going to do it with me or I have to do it. 
So I got a lot of uh, co-conspirators. Oh, that is amazing. So as a founder, uh, you mentioned mental health before. Mental health is something that I think is starting to come around as something to talk about between founders for, but for a long time, that was not the case. So for you, how have you worked to better yourself? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think initially I was an accidental founder, which I think is the case with so many people, right? (laughs) Whether you figure out a service or a product or a community that's not there and you decide, okay, I'm going to do it. Um, So I didn't intend on being in this space, but what I realized a big part of my mental health is having uh, a support system and Mm. sharing the load, right? I think many founders are type A, many founders have an experience of being able to to have some type of success and want to then do it ourselves, but it can be overwhelming and actually disastrous, right? If not being able to delegate, not being able to get people on board with your values, um, oftentimes stops whatever mission you're trying to bring to life. So yeah, a big piece of it has been finding support, um, finding other people who I can empower to help me. Um, And then also just having difficult conversations with myself about, um, you know, what I often do is I look at my schedule and I realize like, oh, I have an hour here, like there's time there. But just because there's time doesn't mean that it should be used to do something, right? Mm. (laughs) I've become intentional about looking at my schedule and realizing, you know, like three meetings in a day, that's a lot of meetings. Just because I have four more slots doesn't mean you put them in, right? So being really intentional um, with my time, scheduling in rest, and and knowing when I need to say no. There is a few things I want to ask you about, about your upcoming book. You're an author Mm. now, on top of everything else we've talked about. I know. (laughs) So... The first thing I want to ask you is actually a funny question. It's more of like, you've talked a lot about founding companies. You've talked about running. You've talked about your obsession with movement. So between these three things, like how did you find it within yourself to slow down, sit Mm. down and put pen to paper or just start typing up and start writing Mm. a book? How hard was that for you? That's a really good question because it was very hard, right? I am a, you know, writing is in one way an active process, but I just sort of wanted it to, like I started and I already wanted it to be done, yeah. <laughs> right? And there's not just, there's the writing, then there's getting feedback from your editor, then there's making another draft. Then even when you have the whole book written, which for me, you know, typically you get a year to write it, it took me a year to write it. Then there's literally a whole other year of production, right? So there's questions around, well, what is the cover going to look like? And what is the strategy in this? So there's, if you're looking for, um, you know, what's it called for um, an end result immediately for instant gratification, don't Mm -hmm. write a book. (laughs) It is very, very slow. But it also slowing down was a powerful way to make me see connections in my life that I hadn't ever seen before. My book is very much, um, it's part memoir, part manifesto, part call to action. And in putting these stories of my life together, I sort of realized, even though there were times in my life that made no sense, and I, you know, didn't think that, um, didn't think I deserved to be here. I now see how all of that is exactly what led me to where I was, where I am today, right? It's Mm. like, if those things didn't happen, then I wouldn't be here. And it almost seems as if it was like, I was following some kind of path. Of course, there was no path, but right. the benefit of looking back at my life, I realized um, 
wow, I've been really lucky. I've been really privileged. I've had a lot of, um, I've had a lot of support, even when it didn't feel that way. And that's part of the story that I tell in this book. Absolutely. So about the book, what are you really excited about? I'm guessing it's one, like being able to just get out and let the world see it. But what are you really excited about, about this launch? You know, I'm most excited for the way that it will shift the running industry and beyond. So my book is a running story. It's about the running industry, but it's really a book for anybody who's felt like they are in the margins of society, anybody who has been um, who has not been centered, whose story has not been told, who has felt disregarded, um, and it's a call to action for people who have not who have been centered to get on board with those folks, right? So I hope that reading this book's make, book allows people to see, to see like I too can be a change agent, right? There yeah. are actually practical steps I can take to make the world more equitable. And a big piece of that just simply starts with an awareness that things are not equitable, right? right. You can't change what you don't see. So I'm, I'm excited for how the conversations will shift and um, to see what, what this industry looks like uh, a year after my publication. Absolutely. I'm super excited. Uh, I've you. got to dive a little, a little into the ebook. Um, and it's been, it's been an awesome read so far. Uh, the Thank one thing you. that it really ties, uh, ties back for me. Um, we didn't get to chat a little bit before, but I ran track in college. And mm. uh, one of the things it, it was really random the way it happened. Um, played baseball through high school, didn't run. Tra I mean, the last time I had run track uh, until college was seventh grade and then all of a sudden oh, they wow. needed a javelin thrower so i walked onto the team started throwing javelin i'd never thrown javelin in my life um wow. and threw javelin but i started to realize uh it was myself and i believe three other uh pocs that mm. were uh on the team and we would always stay together because we felt like it was a white man's sport Absolutely. and uh it would like what I am reading throughout the entire book so far is very much like bringing together a lot of those things that I thought were just thoughts that I were mm. I was having and the other teammates were having and bringing that together. So that it's honestly super super exciting, and I'm really really excited for other people to read this book. Um, ah, and I'm sure it's like ultimately chill. yeah, it's ultimately why you want you you wrote the book the way you did. Yes, that I mean that is just like fantastic i'm so happy to hear that because you know what's what's often the case is we're made to feel like we're the only ones who feel this way we're already mm -hmm. oftentimes the only in a room or one of a few in the room and then our experience is never validated anywhere right mm. like before until my book is published there are no books out there that talk about the experience of what it is to run while being black or brown, right? Yeah. What is the experience to move in spaces that were not intentionally built for you? In fact, that in many, uh, many instances, we were forbidden from being in, whether that's national parks, uh, pools, public parks. So what does it mean now to move through those spaces? And I just, yeah, ultimately my goal is it's twofold, that black and brown people, people of color feel a sense of validation, like, wow, I'm not crazy. Yeah. And that white people are like, oh, damn, this experience, I don't know about this experience, or I haven't 
um, I haven't made it my business to care about this experience and yeah. I need to get involved in it. Strange on Purpose is a podcast. I like to say it's for creatives, but it's for creatives, founders, for anybody really. Mm. And uh, I would be doing the audience an injustice if I do not ask about this because for a lot of creatives that listen to the show, like their ultimate goals or one of those big goals as they go along their journeys is to collaborate with some of the brands that you have. When you type in mm. your name on YouTube, you see your name with some of the bigger brands out there. Mm. So when it comes down to collaborating with your brands, but then also staying true to being yourself, being unapologetically yourself, how did you or when did you feel like okay, I can be myself even when these brands were actively seeking me out. And maybe they wanted you to be somebody else, but you said, no, I'm going to stick to who I am personally. That's that's a great, great question. And I do have to say that in my particular instance, it had a lot to do with giving birth to my son. And I, I think um, obviously that has to do with like me maturing in other ways too, but giving birth to my son shifted my again another perspective shift right like running the marathon was a huge shift in my life and then giving birth to my son on the one hand it made me give less f's right (laughs) (laughs) they just started to float away but on the other hand then i realized you know taking care of my son taking care of this life making sure that he's fine that the world is a place that um will be good to him became more important than some of these other things that used to seem really scary. So for example, it used to seem really scary to ask for what I'm worth, right? Mm. To, if somebody sent me, we'd love to have you in this campaign, here's the budget. For me to say like, I'm sorry, that budget won't work for me and suggest something else or simply say no, those things seemed so scary. But But after having my son, this shift just took place where I was like, you know, I have to value myself. One, because I'm not just taking care of myself, but also because these are the kinds of, I want to be the best version of myself for my son, right? Mm. The other piece of that is that the more you work in the industry, in any industry, and honestly, the more you're burned, like the more you realize like, oh, the only thing separating me from that white person or from that other person is that they advocated for themselves or they had somebody to advocate for them, you realize, okay, well, I'm going to do what it takes, right? Well, I'm Mm going to build my network. I'm going to put myself in uncomfortable positions. And don't get me wrong, it should not be that way, right? Like we should all be valued. We should all be um, given what we deserve without asking for it. But since that's not the case, uh, you have to learn to be, uh, to put yourself in uncomfortable positions. And um, Part of what I say is, what would a white man do? Yep. <laughs> you know, would would they uh, second guess themselves? Uh, would they give up? Would they not repeat themselves when somebody talks over them? Like, certainly not. So <laughs> I will be damned if I do. <laughs> One of the things that I like doing, um, if the recording guest is a friend of a former guest, is ask mm-hmm. that former guest about them and everything like that, just so I know what the hell I'm getting into, one. Uh, uh, but yeah. then two, uh, specific to your segment, like I reached out to Martha before recording yes. because it it seemed like there was a like huge connection there. And I asked mm-hmm. her, what about Allison and her story inspires you? And she said mm-hmm. her response was, I love Allison's relentless pursuit to build community and empower others to build community and find meaning through their movement. Mm. 
She also mm. empowers people to find the mind, body, and soul connection. That's how Allison inspires me. She inspires me to move however I choose, not just running, but to push progress forward. And just reading that and also seeing the people and the brands that you've helped on an everyday basis. Before we actually close out this episode, I want to ask, through this incredible journey that you've had so far, have you given yourself the time to reflect on not only the accomplishments mm. that you've had, but also the lives that you've really changed through mm. simply sharing your story? Mm. I have not. And it's moments like this, you know, hearing Martha, who I love, 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 hearing that I almost, and this is something I have to work on. I, I get, I'm so excited about doing and about ideas and supporting, like, it just gives me so much life and energy, but I, I haven't, like, I, I, I haven't thought about it cumulatively. All the people who I've worked with, who I've met, who reach out to me, you know, it's, I haven't sat still enough to appreciate that. And I, I do hope, like, this is my challenge to myself. My book is coming out. I hope that there's a time uh, there's some downtime after my book that I make for myself at least a month yeah. where I just don't do anything new or different. I can just sort of sit because you never get this time back. Boom. I got one more question for you. Bring it. What makes you strange on purpose? I'm like such a nerdy weirdo, <laughs> right? Like I, <laughs> I, love that. I, I, and you can you get a sense of this in my book when you read like the history that I give. I've just I've just always been so nerdy and curious. And thanks to the internet now, I don't have to ask as many questions publicly. But I am always searching. Like I will be watching a TV show, the news, whatever, and have my computer just to like research things that I don't know. <laughs> and um, my husband, thankfully, is like. A nerd also and um loves that nerdiness because yeah like i will go down a rabbit holes and then come back with like my phd <laughs> in something else every day and honestly if i could be in school i have my undergrad i have two masters if i could be in school as like my job i would do it so i am like super nerd 